Hi friends, Michael Hubbard here with my friend Gary Goodell, and uh, this is Permission Granted. We are exploring <clears throat> ways to do church differently in the 21st century because we need to, because change is required for growth, and um, I think we're all here because we are interested in growing. You're listening to this program because you're, you're looking for some new ideas, or you're maybe you're just curious, but <clears throat> Gary and I have been having some discussions about, well, what keeps the church from being what it needs to be? Or, and exploring some ideas what could help us to become the fuller, more mature, effective church that God wants us to be, how to be, make disciples that are effective. So, Gary, today we're going to hit uh, one of the big sacred cows. So hold on to your, <laughs> hold on to your butts, as he says, yeah. um, money. And, be, you know, let me just say a couple of things here first. I, just to be clear, I think money is a great tool. And I think one of the bigger problems in the church is we have a poverty mentality. We're afraid to talk about it. We're afraid to address issues. <clears throat> um, we don't know how to deal with people who have lots of it. Sometimes we don't know how to deal with the poor. Just our own insecurities about it. So I, and I believe it's one of the things that keeps us back from really exercising um, the fullness of what God's called us to be in the church, our influence. Because let's face it, influence requires money and resources. Whether it's buying buildings, whether it's uh, helping the poor, whether it's sending people on missions, we, above all people, should be secure in this idea of money. And the um, and Bible's full of scriptures that talks about how God wants to transfer the wealth from the wicked to the righteous. So why isn't that happening? And um, I'm, on, I'm, on a passion, I'm passionate about finding out why, why, what, what needs to happen for that to take place so the church can be, live in fullness. Well, statistics, Mike, tell us that 80% of all the money received in a local church is being spent to finance the Sunday morning flagship meeting. Even that statistic... So say that again, 80, 80%? 80, 80 to actually 90% of the money spent... So 80 90% of the resources are spent on two hours on Sunday. Exactly. Bad stewardship from one angle. Here's what I'm convinced of. Let's shift from money to worth. Okay. You have a baby. I have, you know, seven grandkids. When they're born, <laughs> I don't look at them and say, well, you're kind of small. I don't think you're worth anything. What I'm speaking into in that little guy is I hug him and kiss him and protect him and watch him grow is my value I put in him, and I would never not take care of him. The reality that God is a provider, God is Jehovah Jireh, can he meet the need of you if you don't preach every week, pop out a sermon? If I understand that the purpose is not educating as much as equipping because the average Christian, they have access to the computer just like you. Here's a question for a pastor. Are the people in your pews, in your seats, do they have the same Holy Spirit as you do? Or do you have a pastor Holy Spirit? And they have a low layman Holy Spirit. No. So consequently, if we stir them up for ministry, if we encourage them for ministry... If we teach them to believe in the fact that their placement on that job 
is as much the calling of God as it is my sermonizing behind the sacred desk mm-hmm. on Sunday morning. So what we're really talking about is how willing are you as a leader to make changes that will benefit your people, even if it costs you possibly your job or possibly a portion of your income, or maybe you'll have to go get a a part-time job, or maybe, as in some cases I've been involved with, people don't want to make any changes and they get a new pastor. I mean, those are all, honestly, those are variables I've seen happen. George Barna, the church expert, kind of uh, our version of the Gallup poll George Barnes says the next generation of pastors will be bivocational. The point is that your identity is not in what you do again, but even pastors, they, there are so many creative things they can do with technology. They can Zoom. They can podcast. They can live stream. It doesn't mean you don't get to be yourself. The question is, are you your most effective self? Are you the best self that God can call call and equip you to be? Will it cost you something? Yeah. The price of gas is going up. I think maybe the cost of change is going up. Just consider... Looking down at five years, you want to keep doing everything exactly the way you're doing it five years from now? Or do you see something else, a different expression, a different fabrication, a different modality, a different form? You can be as experimental as you want because you know the, we felt like God said to us, permission has been granted. Yeah to do church differently in the 21st century. You know, a question I had to ask, Gary, is when I, anytime you make changes, usually, you know, throws the people, some people in tizzy or throw some people off. And I've, I've noticed that whenever they walk out, they take their wallets. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. Um, you have to ask yourself that question. Are you committed to the change? Or are you committed to maybe the vision God's given you to lead? And you have to walk that out, knowing that it might cost you some, sometimes even friends. Well, there's a story that's being told. It may be urban legend. It's been passed along. Church in the Midwest, older church in terms of the aggregate age, the pastor learns from the weather channel that there's going to be a real severe snowstorm on that next weekend. And he's concerned about some of his older people driving on slick roads or even walking on ice, slick pavement to the church. So for the first time, he stands at the end of the sermon and says, I need to make an announcement because of the snowstorm next weekend predicted by the weatherman. uh, We're not going to meet. A hush falls over the crowd. Somebody raises their hand. Can we meet in our homes? Well, of course. Another hand, can we invite our neighbors to meet with us? Of course. Can we open the Bible and share the scriptures with them? Of course. Can we take an offering in our homes? Of course. It went on and on. Here's the end of the story. 
the snow weekend infamously as they remember it. More people from house to house, more people coming to faith, bigger offering than they've ever taken. But you know that that next Sunday where the snow had melted, where did they meet? Where did they go back to? Mm -hmm. They went back to the building. Mm -hmm. So it's not even, <clears throat> nobody's telling you to do church a certain way. If you have a vision in scripture to change, mm -hmm. to make it more effective, more disciple-making oriented, more relationship oriented, make it more organic. Again, the disciples met in their homes for hundreds of years right. before we built buildings. Right. Well, for many of us, you know, the challenge is the financial aspect too. Yeah. I know for me that, um, you know, I've always been, I learned to tithe early on. I've always considered myself a generous guy, but there was always an undercurrent of fear when it came to money. You know, living in the ministry, didn't have a lot of money. We, we, we lived from, we made it. We trusted God. He always took care of us, but I can't say there was a lot of extra. Mm -hmm. When I look back now, I realize how much of a, I guess, a poverty mentality I had. Was there going to be enough? And it was during this transition I told you about when I started selling bikes. The Lord reminded me that he loved me as much selling bikes as in the pulpit. That was one. And then he went after my, again, my poverty mentality where I realized I was still feeling uh, worried about money. Even though I was making more money than I'd never made before, there was still this undergirding of fear and I'll tell you how it happened I was uh, I was watching another salesman who was uh, getting a good deal I could tell you know when you're in the sales business you can yeah. tell when a good deal is going on and I was angry I was thinking to myself Lord I want that deal mm -hmm. and the Lord spoke to me and he said you don't think I can give you a deal with along with him and I realized how stingy I was being in my mindset somehow that God wasn't big enough to give us both a good deal and what shifted in me Gary was this attitude Instead of me being angry, I started to bless that guy. I said, Lord, make it a good deal. Bless him, bless him, bless him. And something shifted in me where I realized I had been, sh I had been, and you addressed this earlier, my perception of my father was like he was being selfish with the money or he was not a generous father or like he couldn't take care of me. Right. And I began to remind myself, it's a little saying I have all the time, he feeds birds, he clothes the flowers. How much more is he going to do that for us? So something shifted in me where a rest and a peace came over me. And, and I didn't worry about, I find myself not worrying nearly as much. You know, I'm still human, but much more different in the fact that I don't worry about the, the finances like I used to. And there's just a, a humble, simple trust. And the freedom that comes with that is amazing. Yeah, this comes to what you value. What's your list of values? If that's based upon your performance, then bigger and more is better. If that's not based upon you, what you do, but just the fact that you have a loving, caring yeah. God, yeah. that kind of shift needs to happen inside of you. Yeah. I have two great children married with kids. I don't ever recall my kid running into my bedroom in the morning saying, Dad, Dad, wake up. Are we going to eat today? <laughs> no, because, you know, Luke 11 says, even when you're 
kind of good parents and we're actually evil with our, our root, we still can compensate and care for our kids. So my issue, guys, is it's not change for change's sake. That's kind of crazy. It's, again, back to the fact that permission's been granted to do church, hopefully more effectively, as we're willing to institute and move into change. You know, a large part of this has to do with us as leaders. I mean, our people aren't going to mature unless we do. And mature people aren't going to follow immature leaders unless they have a special call for that. So we need to step up and develop better attitudes about money, about self-value and self-worth. I love in the book, uh, uh, Graham addresses that really strong, which is his forte, you know. Uh, Graham's one of those guys, he's got, you know, he's got one sermon that's 500 hours long. All right. But it's all about identity, who you are. You know, it's like your passion for the church. You know, it comes out of you. And he talks a lot about the need for our, our identity to be grounded in the Lord. Because when our identity comes from him, external circumstances are limited in how they affect us. If you're internally secure, the insecurities of the outside world will not affect you. If you're internally insecure, the outside world is going to wreak havoc with you. So it's about us getting assured of who we are, who our God is, what it means to us. And uh, it all starts with that foundation. Yeah, what it comes down to at the end of the day is sonship. There you go. I either believe that I'm a son fully cared for, fully provided for, fully loved, laying in a hospital bed after a car accident, can't preach, can't even talk, so God's going to pull my paycheck? <laughs> God's going to you know, impoverish me? No, I love him. I have a God that's good all the time. Yeah. And part of that is our deeper theology. But the deeper theology is not doing the correct components in a gathering as much as teaching people over and over again how much they're loved by God. Yeah. And I remember when I was the dean at a Bible college and um, I asked this guy to come in and speak at one of the chapels he was the most, one of the most at the time, unconventional pastors. Didn't wear the suits and ties that normally our guest speakers did. He came in with an open shirt and cowboy boots on. <laughs> and um, he stood up and he did a significant act. He just panoramaed the, the guys and girls in that Bible college chapel. And then he said this. He said, you think that you've come to Bible college to learn how to love God more. In the Greek, in the Hebrew, in the Aramaic, studying scripture, humanistics, homiletics, you think that's what you're here for, to learn to love God more. He said, that's not true. The purpose for why God's brought you here is to learn how much you're loved by God. Mm -hmm. It's a settling commentary. If you can't meet in that building because of the weather or COVID, God forbid, even a, a, what they call, you know, a God thing, an earthquake, whatever, pan, the pandemic of COVID, is God not, not going to take care of his sheep? Mm -hmm. 
his kids. Mm -hmm. So set your values close. Keep them close to your chest that your God cares. Run it by people that know you and love you. But get ready to make some changes. Get ready to experiment with how you do church. Knowing that you're loved for who you are. Sonship, I love it. That's a good place to stop. Okay. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll see you again.